Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of boards, recorder videos, and tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream, Crafting Icewind Dale, in which I build, write, and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. If you are playing characters of all Robin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this is not the stream for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. Assuming you enjoy the spoilers, we stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. You can watch all of these sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at RogueWatson and join our official Discord server with the invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20. For streaming, I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. We are still talking about the Caves of Hunger, as my players have made it a couple rooms inside. We made some good progress on Monday's stream in terms of trying to break down the next rooms that they will be on their approach vector. <laughs> this is... I, I do love open floor plan dungeons because it grants the players a lot of choice and freedom and it really feels like they are um, making a lot of important decisions versus just going room to room. That's something I always look at and critique whenever I'm looking at um, other dungeons that other folks have designed. And this one does... This one checks that box very well. There are so many different uh, paths that the players can take thanks to these this tunnel system right in the middle. The other interesting part of this dungeon is that the goal is just to get through it. There is no boss at the end. There is no treasure they're trying to recover or person they're trying to save. It's just this is in between their next destination. Now... They don't know where their destination is. They come in here completely blind. They may they may think that Ethern is in this map somewhere, which I'm not necessarily going to discourage them of that fact. But at least right now, we know they're going to go to H5 next. Um, we do have the Ice Piercer encounter planned for that. And then I think I am going to unleash Tekalele, um, who I've been working on trying to fix his stat block because uh, it's a problem. It's a problem. I don't, even for level 8 players like this, the action economy just kills you. Um, and I can see why he's only supposed to attack around other fights because that's the only time he can really make a difference and actually be kind of threatening. I boosted his stats up to be to that of a normal vampire. I think he's actually even better than a normal vampire because I, I left all of his null abilities and stats in there but gave him all the better abilities of a straight up vampire. Like legendary resistance, he's got that. I also gave him legendary actions, and here's where I'm trying to fix his stat block because I think legendary actions is the best way to um, 
make a boss monster not suck in D&D 5e. And at least right now, the ones... Um, the idea is he's got three legendary actions. I gave him just basically a move, attack, and the shape change actions that he can take. So move, he can move up to its speed without provoking opportunity attacks. That's pretty huge. I also gave him a straight up climb speed. Uh, vampires do have like a spider climbing trait. Um, but I just gave him a straight up climb speed. And I guess I could include the fact that he... I, I'm picturing like a xenomorph where he can just like literally skitter on walls and creepy shit like that. So, And the walls are 30 feet high and it should be nice prime ambush opportunities for that. As a vampire also, he can go into mist form. Although he can't be in direct sunlight. This is going to be a problem is if I ambush the players and then uh, Thimbleweed immediately turns on his daylight spell, which, I mean, it's a problem for me as a DM, but it also kind of rewards the player for having taken that spell like forever ago as just a good idea and has never really used it in any effective context. And like, so it, on the other hand, it's kind of nice for that player to finally show off uh, taking that spell. Whoops, I didn't mean to actually click that. Let's find that. Uh, to hide this one as well. Actually, clicking things, I'm realizing. Okay, thankfully, roll twenty added the ability to hide things. I don't have to just like delete the chat log. So the mist, uh, the shape changer form means in this case it can turn into a large hyena or mist. Um, the hyena has its exact same stats, except it can't speak, and uh, I guess it becomes a large size, and its walking speed is increased to fifty feet. Um, however, I don't think it can use its claws, so it's weaker offensively also so it's only there for speed and i don't think it's going to need speed in any of these uh encounters i don't ever see it actually transforming into a hyena however transforming to mist is very important because mist is immune to all non-magical damage now it says non-magical damage that's kind of tricky because does that mean magical weapons still damage it i would rule that uh, like no literally magic maybe aoe spells could still damage it or something to that effect but um it does still take damage from sunlight also, which is interesting. It also technically only has a flying speed of 20 feet. I may have to amend that and let it move a little bit faster. Basically, I'm trying to create a scary monster that can ambush the players like a horror movie. But the problem is this, the base stat block doesn't really allow for that and especially becomes more problematic when the players are level 12. This was supposed to be an ambush predator for level 8 players. And even then, as written, it said whenever it hit, uh, whenever it took 20 hit points worth of damage, it would immediately... Um, basically turn into mist form and run away. Well, it's going to take 20 damage from like one attack from one player. So that's a really dumb stat in general. So I'm going to have to use a lot of like DM cheating features, which is basically almost turning some of its fights into a cutscene versus an actual uh, standard combat encounter. At least during the very first one, I think I'm going to try to get away with that. Try to use its frightful cackle, although not really its technical frightful cackle, but really use its, just play it up as an RP thing, I guess. Um, in terms of hearing that, uh, that was a suggestion, I believe, from Jason from the chat on Monday. I really like that idea. Um, but I do want to try to actually launch a little bit of an attack in H5 if I can. But the only way to do that, it's way too early to actually show him. But what I'd like to do is have him, while the players are basically trying to escape or taking damage from those ice piercers, which are like these monstrous just icicles that are dropping down and hitting them, um, one person is going to get attacked by the vampire who basically comes out of, you know, nowhere, whatever one of flavor that is being, and tries to use its bite attack on them, which I will legit roll for that, although I may actually keep that hidden as well. I'm, I'm really, you know, playing in roll 20 means all of our rolls are public, 
So I know that hiding rolls um, does not go over very well with my players, but there is precedence for that. I know Chris did it a few times um, in his campaigns where he would like physically roll a dice instead of even putting it on the GM, uh, to, you know, whisper to the GM. Um, so I may hide everything. What I can do, however, and I'll, I'll show you real quick, is I can hide, if I click this, I can actually hide the creature, I can hide the name, and I can hide the description so that it just looks like this when I do it, which just, for those of you listening, it's just the name of the attack, which says bite. It's got the attack, the number, so it does reveal the modifier, and then the damage, which does reveal that, which that would be something the players have to know anyway. However, it doesn't tell them the fact that the necrotic damage excuse me, actually um, reduces their max hit point by that amount, and then the creature would, the vampire would gain that amount. It's got a plus nine, so I'm pretty confident it's going to hit, but that's not a for sure, so it could always try to, that could be more flavorful where it tries to like hit somebody and they, it doesn't, you know, they feel something trying to attack them on their mouth, but they don't realize what it is. And then basically it would immediately go into like mist form after it sees the piercers have, you know, dropped and are basically done and uh, escapes after that. And I'm hoping I can get away with that without it and really making it almost part of the piercer moment. Versus turning this into like, okay, now everybody roll for initiative and try to figure out what's going on. And maybe it, it literally turned into like a fleeting glance that you see like this monstrous creature like clamp down on your mouth. And then it just like poofs away into like black mist that you lose sight of or something. I'm, I'm hoping I can get away with that. Obviously, they'll try to um, track it down. But that would be part of the creepiness is maybe they hear like this, you know, crackling, piercing. And the cool thing is the mist, this is a good opportunity for the mist attack because, and it does mention this in the book, this tower, which uh, I'm going to borrow one of the players. Let's remember phrase right here. The way I did this tower on the map um, is you can actually kind of see little flittering bits through it. So I put cracks in the dynamic lighting so players can tell that you can kind of see through the ruins, which is a neat little effect in Roll20. So you can use things like Misty Step or Gaseous Form. Um, I don't know whatever tools the other play the players have to actually get in that tower. And what they don't realize is you can actually get through the tower by going all the way around through H10, through H7, and then it's the same thing. It's still a closed tower all the way around, which is neat. The only way inside is to use one of those kind of abilities um, to get in. But that that helps the vampire be able to ambush them and then mist in here, and then it can like mist again and basically just retreat all the way. So you don't have to be too cheater about the fact that it can spawn you know, anywhere and attack them. Instead, I'll be mindful of the different areas that it can actually attack. It takes damage from magical weapons. Well, it might not be able to this time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Otherwise, the mist is just, the mist form is just kind of useless, I guess. I don't know. I, uh, I need better vampires. Be better vampires. Like mist surrounds a vampire at all times. or some layer actually fills the room with mist. Yeah, that could be good. <laughs> Makes it kind of, uh, it's almost like a forewarning for when the creature is going to attack. You hear like cackling and howling too. What I also did with its stat block, so we'll go back to its legendary action. So it can move up to its speed without provoking opportunity attack. So literally that would be part of its... So essentially it's using its attack action and then on a legendary action, um, which is supposed to be after another creature's turn. So I'm kind of cheating because um, I guess I would use it immediately after, but we're not really in combat either. So it's going to be kind of, again, trying to get this off via kind of another event instead of combat. It can move to its speed without provoking opportunity attacks. It can use any of its actions except multi-attacks. That includes any one of its bite claws, frightful cackle, or sickening gaze. I turned those all into legendary actions. 
and it can just use its shape changer ability as a legendary action, which is the important thing. So, you know, it can ambush them at first, do that's attack, and then essentially it can shape change uh, into its form and then try and dissipate away. So you'll have to do shape change plus move. I don't know. I'm using multiple things together. I, I'm really cheating here as a DM. I realize that, but there's just no good way to do this <laughs> legitimately without giving it all kinds of special features. But I think that's kind of the prerogative. And I mean, at level 12, you got to start doing that. So I like the idea of maybe some layer actions, maybe even like magical darkness fills the room. That could be pretty effective. Darkness just protrudes whenever this creature attacks. And then if it's magic darkness, I think the only thing that can solve that is magic light, which again, the daylight spell would be appropriate for. So depending on what the players will, I may have it stick around for a hot second, but I'm going to try to just have it be a really creepy, scary, like during this moment when the Ice Piercers are coming down, attacking somebody, maybe the person who doesn't get attacked, you know, I'm going to try to like randomly um, select who's going to get attacked by the Piercers via my token fate thing. And if somebody probably gets attacked the least amount of times, that that's the person who's going to get, or somebody maybe is just off separate or something, um, that person would get attacked by the uh, the vampire, the Noel vampire, and then it would try to just play out like a little cutscene, and the only thing I'm going to do is just try to get the bite attack off, um, and then teleport away. So it's going to be a one thing, and then it's going to be gone, and, they'll be, and I, I want the thing to be like, what the fuck was that? Like, and maybe get an idea that somebody with a perception or something could could maybe see the mist like dissipate into this tower, and then that could lead them to investigating that, and then that could be a whole thing, but there will basically be no chance for them to... Um, catch this thing. I'm going to really try to cheat it like a cutscene moment. Don't bring monsters of must as a DM because of different abilities and such. Yeah. And I'm starting to, you know, I haven't felt the need to do that in the first two tiers of play. And plus with this, we're so late in 5e's life cycle and there's so many awesome, you know, third party and second party resources uh, that you can use where I almost don't really have to come up with a whole lot of creatures myself until we started reaching tier three and then I've really had to make like bespoke creatures for certain encounters um, that had a lot of different effects and abilities mainly mainly with boss monsters because they just do not hold a candle to a even a partially rested like full party. Uh, even bosses who have minions around them, like they still need extra, you know, at very least legendary actions, maybe some layer actions, um, you know, bonus actions, reactions, all these things in order to fix the action economy because no single boss is just going to stand up to um, that many more player characters. And plus, I've got, you know, a full party of five. They've got various summons. They've got an NPC ally, which is the Wizard Valin, who actually summoned a skeleton. I need to put that on the map, don't I? He did animate dead. As a necromancer, and do we have normal skeletons in here? Possibly not. There's not a single actual straight up skeleton in this campaign. That's fascinating. Huh. Not a very undead. Alright, we grab from the compendium then. Which is good. I mean, we went, we had a lot of undead. I guess we had frost giant skeletons. That was the big thing. I think it's just a normal ass skeleton, right? That uh, animate dead creates skeleton, and technically she could animate more. Doesn't require concentration or anything, but she only has so many spell slots. So you're not going to. Okay, excellent. Defaults are set up correctly. 
There we go. We'll roll. Hit points. Remember what animate dead does. I think you either get a zombie or a skeleton, depending on what the body is. This was definitely a skeletal body. Animate dead. Pile of bones or corpse medium. Well, human owner's bone. You target with a pulse. Target with a like skeleton. If you choose bones or zombie, you choose a corpse. Use a bonus action to command the creature. Or creatures. The creature is under your control for 24 hours, which stops obeying any command you're given to it to maintain control of the creature in the 24 hours. You must cast the spell on the creature again. Okay. Fun stuff. Higher levels, you cast a spell using a spell fourth. Enemies are going to two additional undead creatures. Oh, yeah, so I guess you could have used a higher level spell. Um, it's too bad that doesn't scale with better creatures, though. Maybe there's another undead spell that does it. I could use a, I used a mimic that could change its form to a spider. That's pretty cool. I think they added some different variant mimics at one point, or am I making that up? So that's going to be the first, um, again, technically not a combat encounter. We just had one, a, a traditional combat encounter with the flame skulls, but I'm going to turn this more into a hazard terror horror moment, um, which the players could very well investigate. Um, H6 has some minor loot in it if they get in there. Actually, H6, I forgot. I wrote down... Um, which is the inside of the tower, they can actually make an, an, an arcana check because there's these cool, like, shifting patterns on the walls that look magical. And if they succeed, they'll realize that this is a tower of, like, respite or something. And any character who takes a short rest in the tower regains a spell slot of third level or lower at the end of that rest. You can only benefit for once for 24 hours. Still a pretty cool effect, though, and definitely meant for a really good resting opportunity because you're very protected, although we've established that the vampire can make it in and out of there um, without much issue. It might try to ambush the players who are resting in there. Um, but still, uh, at least try to ambush them and do the same thing where it's not really a traditional fight, but comes in and, you know, grabs somebody and fights them and then leaves. <laughs> Although I think it's reduction. Does it last? I think it might last until a long rest. Uh, so the target finishes a long rest. Yeah, so that's kind of a cool, like, you know, over time, it's a war of attrition. Is It keeps getting that bite off and keeps reducing their max hit points. Kind of a pain in the ass for the players to deal with. But I like the idea of the room like filling with a, a dark mist. Um, and, and flavoring that as almost like magical darkness where nobody can see anything. That could be cool. Um, and then we've got... So H10 is the next logical place. I mean, technically they could misty step through to H7, but it all connects. And then that's where they have to make the big choice. There is going to be a... Where there's a tunnel that goes all the way down about 150 feet... Uh, down into the big Remoraz cave, which is considered one of the mini bosses of this dungeon. Although, given the players already fought a Remoraz as a boss, I turned one of the young ones into an adult. So instead of one adult and three youngins, it's two adults and two youngins. Um, this place is pretty well telegraphed. There's giant bubbling pools everywhere, which the player should know what that means. And then there's bones strewn, large cavern, danger written all over it. Yes, technically somebody could fall down the chute and end up falling into the water, but the odds of that happening are very minor because the players all have very good traversal abilities, so I don't see them actually sliding down there like jackasses, but they might surprise me with that. Uh, there is some treasure in the tower, some potions they can grab. There's also, uh, it says the cave might contain a psychic haunting, but I will definitely take advantage of that. Probably while they're crawling around the tower trying to explore it, I'll do one of the psychic hauntings, and with my hauntings, I'm going to have everybody make a wisdom save, or they suffer a... a form of madness that is kind of a unique combination, which I showed this on Monday, 
uh, of the short-term and long-term madness that that lasts for one hour. Uh, and that's another like war of attrition thing. So I really want to play up the fact that you know this is a dangerous area. There's not a lot of treasure here. It's, you're just trying to survive and get through it. Although I guess there is some treasure you can find. So I think it's a D8 table with uh, various debuffs that affect you for an hour. And yes, technically they could short rest right after. But I think I mentioned this on Monday, where my players are generally good about not abusing that um, feature too, uh, not abusing the resting, even short resting features too much. If one of your primary members gets attack off, they can still Misty step away and heal whatever damage they take. Yeah, for sure. Um, technically, it doesn't have Misty Step, but I could flavor it as Misty Step. I think that would be probably better. Give them, like, just unlimited Misty Steps or something. Versus that turning into... Because, again, that Mist Form is... It turns... You know, you become 20... You get a fly speed of 20 feet, and you're immune to all non-magical damage. But the players all basically have magic damage, so... It's going to be... Uh, yeah, Misty Step is probably going to be the thing I'll actually flavor it as. Maybe Misty Step where you can kind of see where he's going, though. Um, but that'll be a big choice. They'll either go drop down. I could see them scouting it for sure, realizing what's down here, seeing everything, and then being like, all right, well, maybe not. Um, and then there's also a tunnel that goes down to the Underdark. I am going to flavor it. So it does mention that the Drow down here in the Outpost came up from the Underdark, obviously. So I'm going to include notes about like climbing equipment the players would find it's weird that there's nothing here and i was going to strew some bodies around but it looks like the map already does have some hilarious looking like dog bone like classic like bone looking bones on this map so i'll flavor that as being basically the drow that already tried to make it through the cave um and basically just lost a bunch of drow trying to get through these memorizes and that's kind of been their problem is they need to resupply but they're realizing that the um, you know, maybe this is the only party that made it through. And yes, I will be like probably tripling the number of drow here and upping there and, you know, expanding their, uh, stat blocks and everything and making them a little better. Steal it, uh, steal away for sure. Uh, have you thought of making the vampire attacks skill saves instead of attack rolls for the cutscene attacks? I'm... Um... I think I'll keep it in attack roll, especially because they will be making saves. No, they actually, they won't be making saves, won't they, from the piercers. That's true. That's actually attack rolls. Hmm. Unfortunately, that, that goes beyond what its stat block is. It doesn't usually trigger, unless I use its frightful cackle, but um, I don't think I want to actually use its frightful cackle unless they're in a full combat fight because they can become immune to it. Um... Sickening Gaze would be a great one to start throwing at them, though. But they have to see it. The target vampire targets one humanoid. It can see within 30 feet of it. If the target can see the vampire, so if anybody sees, so I'd have to kind of reveal what it is. And they have to make a DC 15 con save or be poisoned for 24 hours. But that's a big debuff. Hmm. But otherwise, yeah, it's all, it's all actually attack rolls. In fact, that, yeah, the piercers all attack. Uh... Uh, male. Uh, the piercers attack via attack rolls, and then its might attack would be an attack roll, so that would be a little bit passive for the players to deal with. I could turn the piercers into a save versus attack rolls. Would that be more interesting? I could leave the damage the same, which is 3d6 piercing plus 3d6 cold, which is pretty big damage. Um, and instead of using these plus fives, I let the players roll. Kind of changes what how these work, but I could make it a... De the bad thing is if you make it a deck save, that makes uh, Celeste able to use her evasion, though. 
But that is a good point that it's a little bit more passive of the players. There is a Drow Vampire spawn. Yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. Right now it's mostly Cobalt spawns. Which are a little bit weaker, I think, than a typical. Vampire spawns are pretty strong, aren't they? I have to check that stat block again, but I feel like they're like CR5 or something. I was looking at the Vampire Spellcaster stat block. that had things like Dominate Person and... Um, greater Invisibility would be like the biggest one to do and really turn into a Predator. But then I looked at the Null Vampire stat and it, it really doesn't fit with him having a... Um, a proper spellcasting stat block because uh, he's got really, really bad mental stats, so it just wouldn't really fit very well. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Vampire Spawn is CR5 uh, with 80 hit points. My goodness. You have 15. Yeah, Spider Climb. Upside down, it seems like I need to make an ability check. I don't know what the difference, what is the difference between spider climb and climbing speed of 30? I guess spider climb is actually better. They can climb upside down on ceilings. I guess that's what I meant to give the null vampires spider climb. They actually do have the same attacks. I guess they're just weaker versions. Whereas the cobalt vampire spawn, I think, is significantly weaker stat block wise, but I think they have pack tactics. <laughs> no vampires, that, that would be too much, I think. I mean, I generally like glass cannon minions. That's that's more appropriate. Weirdly, we don't really... We get one little tease of a minion early on in H4, where it is also... I'm also going to turn that into more of a cutscene thing, where it um, essentially flees... I'm not even going to put it on the map. They just see this terrifying creature, and, and it flees. And, and maybe they'll think that's what attacks them in H5, or it'll be awkward if they go to H5 first and then see this creature here, and then um, you know it'll flee in some other direction, I guess. But they don't have the poofing ability. They just scamper, scamper. But I don't know where where actually to put some vampire spawn. There wouldn't be anything near the Remoraz. Although it does say the vampire, the null vampire, will attack during the Remoraz fight, which is real fucked up. Um, we'll have to play that one very carefully. I don't know if we'll actually launch the whole Remoraz fight. Maybe if the players get through these first two rooms quickly and then go down the slide and like we immediately jump into it, then maybe, but we'd probably have to stop the session during the fight. But more than likely, it'd probably end up before that fight actually started. So I'm not really prepping beyond the Remoraz room if they go down there because I think that would be, you know, I, that's like a session long fight, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But crazy enough, the Null Vampire is actually scripted to fight during that fight. It like hides out in the mist, which is, I mean, this is already a pretty tough fight. Uh, he's technically over in H23, which is the right cavern, I guess. Particularly is here the no vampires in mist form hiding in the steam. The characters can sense a vampire only if they have magic that can detect the presence of undead. As the young Remorazes engage the characters in battle, Tekalele assumes its null form and joins the fray, keeping its distance from the Remorazes. That's pretty crazy. Whereas the, I think the shadow fight, he technically comes in, like, afterwards. But it is weird that he attacks without his, um, minions. You should be launching the minions more often. Otherwise, we don't have any sightings for a while. So assuming they just scout or don't go that way and they go up here, they'll see, weirdly, some natural stairs leading up to H7. H7 is just an empty room, but it's got the other side of the tower. H8 has the ability if they, you know, it's a cool, like, exploration setting scene where they can uh, read some words that are, for some reason, written in Draconic and not Laros. I don't know why that's the case. 
because uh, I thought that was all their language was that Loras language, that ancient language, but it specifically says you, um, Netherese used the Draconic script. And it says, take the free self-guided tour of Ethereum, press the I to cast the spell, and they can kind of roll. Um, actually, I guess I was going to include the fact they could roll an Arcana check to try to figure out that this thing is um, just a magical effect that will start if you press this button. The button allows them to basically cast Arcane Eye, but I'm going to modify that, as has been suggested before in previous crafting streams, that this is not a typical Arcane Eye spell that lasts for an hour and lets them just literally scout around the entire flinking dungeon because there's no walls that would stop it from doing that. Instead, I'll probably let it last the duration, but give it a radius that it can go away from this thing. Because it's clearly damaged. Like, it's part, it's meant to be an Aetherin, um, you know, it was broken off of somewhere, and it's only partially functioning, and in fact, it only has one use of its spell left. I do have a cute little eyeball here that I did give vision to. I'll just have to remember to give that control um, to a uh, whoever presses the button, and it would be kind of the same effect as if you, like, you know, went to your eyes uh, into a familiar or something, your body goes slack. You can kind of see what it looks like here as it creeps through. It's got a 30-foot range um, of vision and dark vision and all that good stuff. So I like I like it. I mean, it just gives the opportunity to the players to scout, and maybe they'll, you know, use that to scout down here, use it to scout down the tunnel. Um, it's just a kind of a straight-up bonus, but it will have a pretty strict radius. I'm thinking about restricting it to about 100 feet from this point, which would give them as far as... Um, the Room of Shadows allows them to scout out basically just two rooms ahead down here. And then it really only lets them go like just barely down this tunnel, basically. They can just kind of see that this tunnel continues to extend, you know, for another uh, 60 feet before it like curves down around again. So they'll just be able to see maybe the length of the tunnel if they haven't gone down there already. So... Um, I think 100 feet seems pretty fair. Maybe once they reach that end, it starts like sputtering and the magic starts fading and they start losing vision and, you know, make it kind of a dramatic thing where it's like the the fog of war starts hitting you or something. Um, so that'll be a bonus, but I'm going to limit it greatly so they can't just go through all these multiple rooms. Instead, they'll only be able to see like a couple rooms ahead. And I think from this point of view, they'll still be able to see like beyond, won't they, if they make it to like... I literally let them make it to the middle of this room where it starts sputtering. I guess they get to see that this room continues on in, like, multiple directions. Um, I am going to play up this room, H11, as not having these actual creatures on the map and instead almost treating it like another psychic haunting with um, just kind of shadows flittering on the walls despite it being very, you know, dark. Um, it's kind of teasing the fact that this room is um, has some nasty shadow creatures in there. Which he can, let's see, ambush. He actually ambushes them H12, which is up here. Uh, attacks characters once the shadows are dealt with. So I guess the shadows aren't aligned to him either, so he doesn't want to do that. But that could be an interesting ambush. Maybe after, just after they get to the fight and they're pretty fucked up, you can have the vampire attack them somewhere around here. It's a pretty scary fight because there's 12 shadows here. Shadows are not very strong at all, um, but they do have their strength drain ability, which is nasty. Yeah. Um, it's a really surprisingly... I picture them as those uh, those creatures from the Harry Potter that have that really cool, creepy effect where they like suck your like essence out. Uh, Dementor, I think? Was that it? what it's called? Uh, they reduce strength by 1d4. The target dies if this reduces its strength to zero. Otherwise, um, it only lasts until a short rest, but, I mean, 
it can auto kill you if it if you you know if you're not having a great strength and you have all these shadows attacking you it can be really nasty in fact i can actually set up this where i believe it will roll it just like that let's test that uh it's not set to show it though i would hope or yes it is. i guess it has to roll uh, the attack first there it goes <laughs> So now it will roll the damage, and then the target strength score is reduced by that much. Target dies, and it's reduced strength to zero. Yep. Obviously, they're probably not going to kill somebody like Frey or something, but if anybody has a strength of, like, eight or something, uh, that starts getting real dangerous. Um, probably looking at Edmund and Volravan as having the lowest strength, I would assume. Well, I think Edmund really... Uh, well, no, he's, yeah, he's got 11. 11... Is oh, it's pretty dangerous. What's while Robin got? Well, Robin's got a nine. Yeah, so there's gonna be their best chances, I assume. Thimbleweed and Celeste should probably have average strength, and Frey obviously has like twenty something because she's got the belt of frost now. Actually, Thimbleweed's only a twelve. Oh boy. And Celeste is a twelve. All right. So funny enough, not the height. We got one person with insane strength. I, uh, I believe Frey's a twenty-three. Everybody else is between nine and twelve. So that could be a very scary thing because I'm just going to do random token fate. Try to ambush the players if I can get away with it. Um, I don't think... Do shadows normally have a stealth uh, stat? They do not, but they do have shadow stealth. While in dim light or darkness, shadow can take the hide action as a bonus action. Its stealth bonus is improved to plus six. I don't think it even has a basic stealth bonus unless roll 20 is not showing it correctly. And their basic would be a plus two because of their dex. Um, so effectively, they would have a DC 16, if we take that average for, um, general stealth, I mean, we could roll that to see if they can get better, or just assume it's a 6, so in other words, a passive perception of 16, um, actually, I guess it would take a 17, is that how it works with passive, because you need the roll to be higher, well, if it was so, if it was their weird, if it was their passive against this stealth, then they would then a sixteen would alert the player. Um, who's got the best? I think Frey might have it. She took something. Fourteen. While Robin usually has good perception. Versus characters, you have good perception. Eighteen. But I, I like to limit passive perception to being a pretty close radius to the player. And because it's 30 feet high and they can all be flittering around the room, um, he would probably be in the room. Um, he just wouldn't be surprised. Oh, yeah, actually, pretty low perception party. I just leave it up to Token Fate to determine, uh, to an extent, I guess. Oh, 17 for Edmund. So, unless they're specifically making perception checks, um, Edmund and Valravin will not be surprised, and then Frey would most likely want to rage to not be surprised. I'll write down that it's a, effectively a 16 stealth, which default Frey and Edmund are not surprised. Now, they could be making you know active perception checks and or doing other things. Basically, it's turning on um, light, I guess. I guess that's part of the problem is they would they would have some kind of light source most likely. 
Um, I think Vol Edmund just carries a magic light. Is that right? Uh, dim light or darkness. Yeah, and the light spell goes 30 feet. So actually, probably once they reach the room, the shadows... Um, some of the shadows would be revealed. Mm, I'll have to remember that about the light spell. I'd like to ambush them, because that would be the truly devastating, scary thing to do. But if they are being cautious with perception and light, then it might be a little harder to uh, pull that off, because these things aren't going to last but a single round, uh, and especially one good AoE blast will destroy them. They only have six, you know, average of 16 hit points. They're actually vulnerable to radiant damage, too, which I believe is what Celeste does. So she's now that she's got all those AoEs, that she can do is... is Rhymes to be destroying these things, so I don't see them attacking. But more than, or but basically that one round, which is why that ambush round could be huge. Although, individually running initiative helps me a lot, because odds are at least some of them will be able to go before the players can get something off. Plus AC 21. I don't know, that does sound high. Um, it is not, it is a 17. Uh, 21, I believe, is Thimbleweed as a 21. And that is because he's got... Um, is Arapus plus armor plus a magic shield, I believe. I don't think uh, there's anything preventing Rykreen from wearing armor, but they just get a basic plus one armor, I believe. And then he does have a uh, shield that he just, a magic shield that gave him um, a bunch of AC as well. This has been a very low AC party. This is actually a rare one where you finally has gotten steadily more and more AC as we go, but considering our two front lines have been Monk and Barbarian, uh, it's been a pretty low AC party overall. Now we skipped over one area that I'm still trying to piece together, which is H9. This is the... And, and by the way, I'm, I'm trying to go as far as basically we get to the next common encounter because that's what's going to take the most amount of time. So, you know, if they skip the Rimrises completely, they go up here, and then they eventually make it to uh, H11, and we'll do the big shadow fight, and then we'll Probably, I would assume, end it um, around there if we do get through this fight. Which I could see this one maybe pulling the trigger on versus the Remoraz one, because this one won't be nearly as long. But that means we do have to plan for H9, which is the head. And this is a case where I definitely want to change this up. Um, the original one, it's a cool idea, but I think we need to do more with it. Um, it's the Iron Golem head, and there is a headless Iron Golem somewhere in Aetherin. Um I don't know why the artist decided to make such a hilarious-looking head on the map, and that is clearly not what the uh, actual artist fiction looks quite like, which is this. It's more like a, I don't know, a helmeted head. This looks like a man. <laughs> I like that handout. I need to make sure I write that down for showing the handout. So handout, heads roll. So it's easy to forget about those handouts when running the game in Rule 20. Um, as written, this thing is just a social encounter, sort of. They can figure out that it's the head of an iron golem. Uh, it understands Elvish and Laras. And they can ask it questions, and for some reason it would talk to them with its eyes blinking yes or no. I don't know why, because the, the headless iron golem is completely hostile to the players. And I couldn't find any information about what these Iron Golems' uh, purpose is in Aetherin, but I assume they're kind of like a defensive system, security or something. So I can't imagine why 
this one would be just chatty. So I'm thinking um, I'll use it maybe as partially a social encounter, but I definitely want to have its poison breath capability available, which is a nasty, nasty effect. Iron Golem. Iron Golems are pretty scary, even for Tier 3. Oh, shoot. That's the Headless Iron Golem. Um, and in here again. I need the just the head Iron Golem. DR-16. If we just look at its Poison Breath, the 15-foot cone... With a DC 19 con save, taking 10d8 poison damage. Be awesome. So maybe it's when the players approach. It does, doesn't it? That's you from Easter Island. It's just weird because that, that, I mean, it's cool that it's on there. It's on the uh, map art itself, so we don't have to come up with something, but it's just weird how different it is from the, the artist rendition that they ended up doing. When they come across it, you know, it's it's probably facing this way. And I think given the... I have that art back up. I think it was lying on its side, right? Yeah, so you could actually turn away from it if you want. But I'm going to definitely make it so it's got its mouth can open. And speak. But it would speak in that ancient language. Well, it does say it can speak Elvish, which is interesting. <laughs> Maybe it would repeat in Elvish after it does the Ross language. But uh, basically turn into like a surprise security thing, like um, halts. I don't know, say, say something that a security patrol would would say. I mean, I don't think Ethan's like a fascist police state or anything where it'd be like, show me your papers or something like that. Um, but maybe it has, you know, a registry of everybody and, um, you know, this is, and obviously these, these folks are unknown. So, uh, it would, you know, say something like, uh, unknown, um, individual detected and then maybe demand it, answer some questions or ask some questions of it. And then it. Maybe it says that initial part in LaRose, and then it'll say, and the idea is, you know, you want to have it talk for a little bit so more players kind of come up and they get in the, the potential cone that's going to come out. And depending on what they say or do, and I really want to kind of play around with this as a role-playing standpoint, um, essentially if they fail or don't present themselves appropriately, then it would just open its mouth and blast them with its um, poison spray, and the idea being to, you know, it's a weird thing. I guess they would just them again <laughs> does it just kill people i guess so if it can um now the players can avoid this obviously by just going the thing can't move so it's a very interesting tra- it's like a social trap essentially because it can't move it can recharge um and you know maybe it's blasted some folks before um maybe the the kobolds and creatures just run around it before it can respond appropriately because it sits there and goes through its protocol of trying to make sure who it's talking to is an enemy before it blasts them. 
But uh, so I think I'm just going to play around with it as a as a social encounter. Technically, it could have some answers. The players play it really well. It could maybe uh, answer a few things. But I like the idea that it's actually got a a mouth and can speak. If the players, nobody knows Laros, but I uh, obviously Morawi knows Elvish, and maybe some other folks do. But if they say the wrong things, I am not above letting it unleash its um, poison breath attack. And if they ask, like, hey, where's your body at? And you'd be like, um, body, maybe you can sense the fact that this body is operational, but um, not nearby. <laughs> that, would be kind of, that would be kind of a cool tease, somehow. Don't think it's, yeah, it mentions, you don't know where Ethrin is. I could be pretty damn far from it from this standpoint. So yeah, it, but it's definitely possible for players to uh, not get hit by it. The cone will be pretty strict. It'll be basically anybody who's kind of in this general area will get blasted by it. And then I, they could attack the damn thing and try to destroy it, I guess, which is weird because like, why wouldn't the kobolds have destroyed it then? Because they're constantly having to go back and forth. Maybe they like it as a, maybe they just don't bother with it or they're kind of afraid of it. Seems like it's kind of a, a main thoroughfare for them to run through also. Um, maybe they can stick to the ceiling and not get detected by it. I don't know. A little bit of a plot hole for me, but whatever. Um, I guess I could allow the players to just attack it normally, and but it's almost trivial because they could, again, get around it and just start bashing it until it would basically be destroyed. So I don't think I would actually put them in combat at that point. Just let it say things like um, warning, system malfunctioning, or something. Uh, and then H11, the Cave of Shadows. We kind of covered that. It's got some creepy shadows in there. I'm going to try to ambush the party if I can. Um, I guess we could talk a little bit about beyond this room. Because, again, I don't see us having to plan much beyond the Remoraz room. Because that will either... That fight will take up everything. The only thing that's going to fuck me up is if they decide to go in the Remoraz room... And then maybe they decide to even go in like greater invisibility or something and keep scouting beyond it, in which case I'll have to kind of scramble to... Boy, that'd be actually a really good tactic. They haven't done that, have they? Just turn somebody like greater invisibility and let... Well, greater invisibility lasts for a minute. I don't know if they actually have normal invisibility. That's actually, that's actually less useful as a scout. I was thinking they haven't really taken advantage of just trying to scout around an area too, even with like just superior stealth or something. But the Remorazes have Tremor Sense, so invisibility actually doesn't help you unless you are um, hovering or, you know, flying through the air or something. Maybe even climbing on the walls, but if you're on the ground at all, I believe they feel it. So they actually can detect you even if you're invisible, so that is an advantage for me. But if we go on the right side, we're not dealing with the Remorazes quite yet. You can go down three different paths from the Cave of Shadows room. Um, H12 has a unique curse where you see the basically the skeletons of the shadows. A little story of like just survivors of Aetherin Crash who died. Lies themselves. Should tie this to Frey somehow, but I don't know how. Empires also in H11. You could do the Mist and Shadows. Or oh yeah, that's true. The vampire would be hanging around here for sure. 
you do that darkness mist thing because the, the dark mist would cancel out i i believe darkness beats light let's see but does daylight beat darkness any of this spell spells area overlaps an area of light Created by a spell of second level or lower, the spell that created the light is a spell. So it does take over light spells. I'm really liking this idea, Michael, of uh, darkness spewing out of the vampire. That's actually going to help me a lot, I think. Just as an effect that it's got. Or I guess it'd be, uh, well, layer action. Sort of once we're in, like, formal combat. But, <laughs> but uh, Reese has the daylight spell. And this one immediately beats that one. Okay, so this is uh, kind of a flowchart to have. If any of this spell's area overlaps with an area of darkness created by a spell of that spell that created the darkness is dispelled. Okay. So daylight would definitely fuck up the vampire very well. And uh, that would cause the vampire to retreat as quickly as possible. While taking damage. Which is fine. I think it's a cool way that that character can show off that ability. H12... Uh, there's frozen skeletons, and weirdly, it's not a psychic haunting. It's a unique curse that happens if you enter this room. Uh, DC 15 con save or gain one level of exhaustion if your hunger isn't satisfied within a minute. But we don't really play like we have rations or anything, so I don't see why you couldn't just you know, eat that. But what I'd probably do is just turn this into another psychic haunting, if we're being honest. I'll script one that makes sense for this room, but I'll have everybody um, make that wisdom save. I gotta sneeze. Just when I thought I was done, they pull me back in. It doesn't help that it's like 70s right now in Texas after we had like freezing weather last week, so it's just wrecking havoc on allergies. Ugh. But yeah, I think that'll be a good opportunity for a psychic haunting because we haven't had one in a while. We do one in H10. Um, we'll do one in H12. Kind of tied to this room where maybe people feasting on each other or something. You know what I could do? Is just make Frey turn into a Wendigo here. That's something I haven't done with at all this entire campaign. Maybe let her make the save and instead of her being affected by... Um, the events, like a disadvantage, um, then she goes Wendigo. And the players have to deal with that. The players have so far been able to unfortunately deal with the Wendigo very easily the few times that she's transformed, and the few times she's transformed have been in combat encounters where it would seem like it would be devastating for the players. And this would be a case where... Um, she may actually be alone, although the vampire could choose to attack them during this event versus um, near the shadows. 12 call verse of hunger. But I mean, come on, it's supposed to be, like the idea is I believe they cannibalized each other. Uh, shadows are born from those who survived Ethan's crash only to face starvation driven mad by trauma and hunger. The group of survivors resorted to cannibalism. The victims rose as shadows to take vengeance upon the last surviving member of the group, and their hatred extends to all the living creatures as well, which I think the last surviving member is this wraith down here. I actually like that idea to turn into a character. We could, we could, we might still let Frey roll a wisdom save, maybe a disadvantage or something with a pretty high save, so it gives her a, a chance to try and um, 
survive the trauma, still do maybe a psychic haunting for everybody to where they have to make the saves. But for her, um, it's a disadvantage and she could transform to Wendigo. I like that idea a lot. That could be a good opportunity for that. Uh, H13, I think it's just a middle room, right? With another three branching paths from it. 10 foot high ceiling covered with icicles that nearly touch the form, forming thin stalactites. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool, leaving paths lead to the cave's four exits. It was almost like a room full of, like, pillars. I should try to do that in dynamic lighting, then. I should make, um... Little pillars everywhere. That that would actually look really neat, I think, in Roll20. Let's try and do that. Just make little uh, circles. That. That work. Copy and paste and throw a bunch of them everywhere. Control V, Control V, Control V, Control V. Hope this is gonna work. Mm. Yeah, it could really affect Frey a lot more. Maybe the shadows even like target Frey more, although that's not good for me because they do the strength drain. Although that would certainly piss her off, but in terms of being deadly, it doesn't matter much. Alright, let's see if the effect worked as I wanted it to. We'll grab one. Okay. Boy, this poor map is so big. I gotta be careful about it lagging. Although, honestly, Roll20 has been really great so far. From problems we've had in Tomb and then from early in this uh, campaign, I really haven't had much... In, in, yeah, in Tomb and early in this campaign, I haven't had much problems uh, in this campaign in a while. Alright, that looks pretty good. Despite it being empty... Um, but you do hear sounds. So this would you'd hear like the cackling and the yelling. Uh, the acoustic cave is within five feet of the east tunnel. Discern the barking yipping is coming from that direction. Still going to want to roll perception checks. Also, nothing stopping them from seeing down into this cave. Rough-hewn staircase leading out to area seventeen. A similar staircase in the south tunnel leads to area sixteen. Well, I need to put these guys not on the map then, because the players can just look down here and fucking see them. That's not a big deal. This is where they can fight a bunch of vampire spawns for some reason without the vampire. It's weird that they separate them. I'm probably the vampire here as well. Um, turn this into a fight, but then the vampire can always retreat. 14 has ice sculptures. Vampire spawn have made startling frightened intruders. I like the idea that some of them could be drow vampire spawn. There's no... Okay, so there's another empty room up here in 14. <laughs> Which is fine. We don't have to have every room have something in it. We're just going to be cave openings. But these spawn aren't alerted to the players at all? Is it under 17? Uh, let's see. Creature, sharp senses. This, the creatures have sharp senses and know when the living creatures are nearby. Okay, what is nearby? Use their spider climb trait to cling to the walls and pounce on the first character into the lair. 
and they retreat to 19 to make their final stand, which is where the Vampire Lord is, I assume. But then why wouldn't he just attack with his minions? Then 18's got Snow Golems. I think I'm just going to block this off. It's just too much. We don't need to fight a bunch of random-ass Snow Golems for no reason. I think I'm just going to literally block off this cave and not fucking worry about it. It's not going to look great on the map because it'll be able to clearly see it's kind of open right there. But... Yep, that's fine. Blocked. I'm not going to do H18 at all. Um, we have time to figure that out in the future, how to best do the vampire stuff. And then the Wraith down here represents kind of another mini boss fight, possibly. Although I think that could also be a potential social encounter. We can even delve into Frey's cannibalism some more, I don't know. Make Frey here whispers that get louder the closer they get to the location and give her escalating difficulty saves versus the... Co oh, okay. Each failed save be a modifier to her Wendigo change. Uh, well, the problem is that she usually chooses when she has a chance to change in a Wendigo form, so this would be forcing her into a change, which is not something I've done before yet. But if ever there was an opportunity to do that, it would be here for sure. The weird thing is, all this prep work could mean nothing if the players end up going down that slide and dealing with the Remorazes and that is never coming up here. But I, they could always come up here again, too. I mean, the way it's done, like, they could always head up to the upper right from H23, and then explore the caves from this direction, so who the fuck knows, but... I'm kind of hoping they go to the upper right, I think there's some good content up here. Um, and obviously I'm hoping they do fight the Remoraz fight at some point, but... We will see, it's not necessarily up to me where they go, I can certainly try and draw their attention to certain places and things, but I'm also interested in seeing uh, how they tackle this dungeon, and we're going to find out tomorrow, because that is going to do it for... This Thursday edition of Crafting Icewind Dale. Thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoy the content, please do check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, William, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Role, Christopher, Brian, William, David, Corey, Koa1337, Kyle, Matthew, Big Nut, Greenlee, John, John, and Infernus, and Gold Patrons, RPG, Paper, Crafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead, Lizard, Lounge, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fasica, Tortoise, Scott, Stephanie, Refus, and Carolyn. Thank you all very much for your support. I will see you all for D&D tomorrow night. Thank you.